welcome to the best of content marketing measurement special edition of our Brand Story Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Jay Sharman, and we're rolling this out as part of an ongoing series to compile and curate the best of the best of our nearly 50 episodes so far, Brand Story Inc., into specific themed episodes. As I record this in late 2020, content measurement is near the top of the list of rapidly changing trends for content studio executives. Brand Story Inc.'s thesis is organizations that think and act with a media company mindset to engage and provide value to their audiences via content will win the long game. And this podcast is geared towards brand, media publisher, and agency content studio executives. Based on conversations in 2020 on this podcast and in my day job as CEO of Teamworks Media, I can tell you the pie chart of key topics has many slivers and content measurement and return on investment is a significant one. For the best of content measurement, we have four episodes and guests we're going to revisit today. Calling the best of the best on this topic, and man, we had some great ones so far. Here's who you're going to hear from on this episode. Guthrie Collin, Dow Jones' chief analytics officer. You'll hear how he was able to merge the quant folks and the content teams within the Dow Jones empire to create a feedback loop to inform content decisions, as well as a really sharp point of view on the evolution of content analytics and what's next in the near term. You'll also hear from Bill Haig, Executive Vice President of Magan Media, a market research company with a deep history in media. He points to the heart of current confusion on content measurement and the practical challenges inherent in the system. Paul Sigreichs, General Manager of Wall Street Journal's content studio, which is called The Trust, he really blew my doors off. I love this conversation. Paul's relatively new to The Trust after a previous tenure at Wall Street Journal with a stint running the Washington Post content studio in between. We went next level on how measurement of content consumption around certain profiles can lead to insights that aren't so obvious. You know, for example, someone in the business of energy, well, you know, they obviously want to consume news around energy, but what else? And how do you piece together commonalities and content around folks with similar interests? The Trust is doing some amazing things in this space that I hope will create some light bulb moments for you. Finally, Andy Crestadina. We feature excerpts of my conversation with the founder of Orbit Media and author of the book Content Chemistry, the Illustrated Handbook of Content Marketing. And we're going to start now with Andy. I highly recommend his book, Content Chemistry. And early in this book, he has this amazing graphic that looks like a diagram of the inside of a spaceship. It's called How It All Works. And it starts with strategy and branding and then funnels down to web design and content. And as you go down, or actually rather you go left to right on this graphic, it gets into analytics, promotion, and eventually a conversion to a new business lead. I thought it'd be a great place to start, and I asked Andy to walk us through this big picture, through the very small minutiae details, in words. Here's his take. We decide what we are and what we aren't. Great, now we're publishing. What happens next? Nothing. Crickets. (laughs) It's not sufficient to just publish. We have to promote the content. How will it be promoted? The three classic channels, search, social, and email. So basically what I'm describing is I'm just going down this. I love your question because I've never really done this. in a conversation, but yeah, going down the list, the next thing is we have to promote that content through keyword focus, search, through um, a a newsletter with a certain frequency, that's email. Um, We're going to use social media to promote, but also to network and do digital PR and make new friends and do influencer collaboration. Awesome. Now we have uh, a growing audience, like you said, like our audience has grown over time. Uh, that growing audience, that growing body of work, 
should be able to attract a sufficient amount of links and authority to our website so that those sales pages that we made earlier can rank for the money phrase, the commercial intent key phrase. For us, it's like Chicago Web Design. Cool. Now I've got two kinds of pages, sales pages and content marketing. I've got two kinds of visitors, the commercial intent visitors and the information intent visitors, targeting two kinds of key phrases, the dollar signs and the question marks. And uh, I'm going to have, you know, when done properly, I'm going to generate leads every day. That's it. Mouse trap and cheese. People are going to land on our articles from search social or email. They're going to subscribe and grow our audience over time. Uh, them subscribing decouples me from Facebook and Google, which are you know, not in my not trying to help me by sending me free traffic. I need to control my destiny by growing my email list. And I've got quality visitors landing on my sales pages who need my products and services. Those pages are going to rank because they're both keyword focused. They know what they're talking about. And we have sufficient authority. Our content has attracted links from other websites. Our relationships with influencers has, has attracted links from other websites. Yes, yeah, so now the visitor, you know, awareness, consideration, and action. We're going to generate leads. Uh, when done well, uh, ask me at the end of this conversation, and I'll look, it's, like, it's not impossible that I'll generate a lead during this call. Uh, mature content programs create a breathtaking amount of demand uh, without an ongoing expense. So uh, hopefully as an exec, you understand all of that and that you're willing to invest and be patient enough. Awesome. Great tip. Okay, now I want to go back. So to the more savvy content marketer that you've got a new VP of content marketing who's gone into, let's call it a small to mid-sized firm. doesn't matter what industry. Um, they know what they're doing, but they call you and they, hey, Andy, I've, I've got a couple people. I've got two people on my staff here and a, you know, $100,000 out-of-pocket budget. What conversation are you having with them as it relates to how to set expectations within that organization, what they're trying to do for content mm -hmm. marketing? Well, they're probably going to want to find some quick wins. To help them do that, I would start with data, see what's working, look at the, look at the legacy content, uh, look at what's gotten the most traction in those channels, and then immediately turn around and, and double down on those things. Uh, it's almost, again, like an automatic win. Whatever the top piece of content was, republish that as an infographic or make a video about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever the most popular social media post they made of, ever was, uh, use those same words in an email subject line. Uh, whatever their top three articles were, combine those into an ebook. So if they've been around a little while, you can just go use the data and see what was effective. Your job is to, the, almost the main purpose of analytics is to find unicorns so you can make baby unicorns. <laughs> That's Larry Kim. He says every piece of content is a unicorn or a donkey. Mm -hmm. And it's true because it's a performance of it. In everything digital is the same. The performance is always measured on an exponential curve, and you want to find those extreme outliers. Those The top 1% of things get 1,000x the results. Mm -hmm. So you need to know what those are so that you can amplify those messages. You can uh, just double down on those channels um, because, you know, the spray and pray, <laughs> it's just not going to work, you mm -hmm. know, the... Um, I, I would, I would first, uh, do that just to be very strategic and make sure that you miss zero opportunities. So can you give me an example 
of that for you that you've done? What was that? What was that one percent? Was one of those articles? I, I saw one of sure. the videos that you did that I loved was about um, marketing content marketing salaries and how you did that original. Or, or what? What's it been for you? Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a piece of content that was successful, um, you you can simply take that exact same URL, never change the URL. And uh, if it's been a couple of years, rewrite that article on that same URL and republish. Uh, that article already has some authority mm-hmm. in search. It's been around for a while. It probably has links to it. Now, if you improve the relevance, it's very likely to um, to rank and become an outlier, outperformer. Another one is if you have a piece of content that's visible in search and getting traffic currently, most websites have one or two articles that sort of randomly get lots of traffic. Uh, put a video at the top of any of those, and that video will almost instantly become popular. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, these are the things where you just say, um, that's work, or, or you can use analytics to see what articles or what pages rank high on page two of Google, and then go improve those so that they rank almost immediately at the bottom of page one or the middle of page one. Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, low-hanging fruit is everywhere if you know where to look for it. Um, similar but fancy analytics work, you can use the reverse goal path report to see what pages people are reading before they subscribe to a newsletter and then go promote those pages heavily in social media. There's a conversion rate from visitor to subscriber for every piece of content. Mm -hmm. In other words, people who read this article, like 2% of people who read this article subscribe to our newsletter. Look Look at the one next to it. 0.002% 0.002% of people who read that article subscribed to the newsletter. <laughs> so, so some articles will have a 10 or 100x conversion rates mm-hmm. compared to others. When you know what those are, you know what to put in heavy social rotation, you know what to put on your homepage, you know what to put on your email signature, you know what to put back on top of the blog. Uh, those are your best mouse traps. Uh, give them your best cheese. Give them your best cheese. Love that. I've known Andy now for a decade, and I just love talking to him and geeking out about the business of content marketing. I feel like he's that friend who's also a professor, but without any airs about him. I've given his book, Content Chemistry, to our entire Teamworks Media staff so we can stay on top of our game, and and I highly recommend it for you as well. It does beg the question of knowledge transfer, though, when it comes to content measurement. How do you get your entire team in a mindset that is balancing the science of data to support and inform the artistry of effective content creation? Well, enter Guthrie Collin, Chief Analytics Officer of Dow Jones, which includes the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Market Watch, and a slew of other media publisher brands. Guthrie's relatively new at Dow Jones. He's been been there less than two years, and he created an internal data academy to integrate the organization's knowledge on this very topic. Take a listen, and it's important to note, as you know, the goalposts are seemingly always on the move in content measurement, so we also addressed how this academy accounts for and addresses current and near-term trends in content measurement. About 15 months ago, when I first took on the new role of Chief Analytics Officer, we found with my team that there was a a, a real desire for two things. Data experts wanted to give back to the org. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have an opportunity to share what they know because they saw the big opportunity with data. And data experts, not just my team, across, across the entire business, in the newsroom, in our PID product, in product and technology. Um, and we had a real desire from folks. Like folks really said they want to understand more about our data. They want to understand more how to use data. They, 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 I, I can 
you know, having a longer career, I saw this when we moved from mainframes to desktop technology mm-hmm. in the newsroom 22 years ago. It's the same, same desire. People knew they needed to know something. So we founded the academy. It's all volunteer-based. Um, people build the curriculum. Um, they're, they're professors in our – they're faculty in our academy. Um, we've had a, a really strong uh, adoption um, around the addressable audience, probably about uh, a third to a half have taken at least one class. Hmm. Everyone who does take a class feels uh, more confident. About 80 to 90 percent of people feel more confident about data after taking a class. And confidence is, is the critical thing here. Like we're not doing yeah. standardized testing. <laughs> it's about do I feel confident to try, to try new things with data and, and ask questions? And, and that confidence is really the key. I'm so glad I brought up Nielsen because I, I have um, – I, I, th- so I think where we are is I think we're actually in a, in a good place because we started out in a place where we we were obsessed with – and this is in the digital age, right? right. And I don't want to go, go into the, the right. Nielsen legends right. of how he came right. up with this thing, but which are great, is we started by obsessing over the solutions we could build. And that gave us clicks and web analytics, and which is, which is a great place to start in the nascent space. Um, but because we started there, we, we stopped thinking about the problems we're trying to solve. It was just like, what can we build? And we got, we got comfortable after building like kind of clicks and, and web analytics and then time spent all these things on cookies. And we started adding digital exposure panels and in banner surveys, but those, those weren't new ideas. Those just replaced ideas that came from analog, uh, mm-hmm. approaches for, like media diaries, like people used to write down their diaries or interviewed as part of a panel. Um, and that, that was for both TV and print. And so I think, and I think, you know, along the way, we've also gotten viewability and completion rate and safety measures. But these metrics are really around economic problems, like basically comparing different types of media mm-hmm. across different platforms and negotiating better rates. Right. So viewability yeah. is like, oh, well, I know they know see on TV. Let me make the same for display. That's not still, that's still not measure engagement, at least, at least in my opinion. So what I, what I see is, is that we're actually we're getting obsessed with the problems. Like, what do we truly want to measure about um, audience engagement? You know, uh, and we're, we're, where it's going is this mix of sci of, of a mix of sci fi becoming sci fact. There's this. There's these newer, newer science approaches where they're putting those crazy e, e, uh, EKG, not EKG, yep. uh, ERG caps on and measuring panels. People who are sign up to be measure when they watch a, an ad mm-hmm. or read a piece of content to see how their brain responds. Responds. There's other outfits that are take, using facial tracking to measure emotions through ticks in your eyes and and, and your face. Hmm. Um, so that's a, that's pr- pretty you know pretty far edge. But when it comes back to being obsessed with the problem, I'm seeing editorial teams and and publishers, creators of all sorts actually focus on the data and experimental methodologies to try to get in the heads of the audiences. So I, I think where, where we are right now in the spectrum is we've gone from obsessing solutions in digital to realizing we really need to obsess with the customer, which which is which is awesome. And while these new solutions come online, we can actually compare them to oh, that emotion response is really cool. I don't know if I need that yet, but it's good to know because maybe I'm going to need that for another piece later on and then I'll engage with you instead of just kind of, you know, fawning over the fact you can do it, adding it and not having a framework of why you're even measuring that way. The lack of universal framework is both a challenge for all of us as well as an opportunity. 
Bill Haig, a friend and EVP of highly regarded media market research firm Magid, talks candidly about the state of flux we seem to be in from a common, universally shared measurement set around content. Bill talks with hundreds of content executives per year, so he's a great point of view from a large data set of conversations. I asked Bill specifically about content effectiveness as we think, or should I say dream about, in the post-COVID era. Here's what he had to say. I mean, the broadest brush is I think any marketer or publisher, you just want to know what's real, Jay, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what does a Nielsen rating, a Comscore, a Google Analytics, you know, metric, mm -hmm. is it real? And, and, and I think we're getting closer to it. But I just think there's just a ton of, of uh, frustration in, on the, in the marketplace, in the landscape around, around measurement, because it's, it's all just fuzzy. I mean, it's really, it's really hard uh, to, to know what's real. So, so first and foremost, I think that is still uh, true. Uh, I do think technology gives us certain advantages. Uh, but back to you know, the point of people owning their own content, people are also owning their own ecosystem. So, for example, in the OTT SVOD connected television world, you've got Samsung, uh, right, who has their own measurement, but it's a walled garden. So if you yeah. want to buy the Samsung audience, you got to, you know, you're, you, and then you want to glom together the LG audience and the Vizio audience. It's, it's, mm -hmm. And then you throw in a, uh, you know, a Comcast cable or a DirecTV. So it's, it's super complicated. And these systems don't all work together. I think trading desks uh, are starting to make that easier. Mm -hmm. I worry about the interface. I worry, especially at the local level, how a local car dealer or furniture store, you know, accesses those trading desks and really understands what's going on. They remove the people, the consultative piece. So, um, so at, at, at the at at the larger level, um, you know, to your question, I think there's still confusion. I don't think we we're, we're we're at the accuracy that we would like to be, and I don't know if we're, we'll ever ever get there but one one interesting thing because of the pandemic consumption has gone up and that mm -hmm. you have seen across the board so um especially with video i just love how bill tells it like it is with conviction right our final best of segment is with the wall street journal content studio general manager paul sigrikes it's called the trust and their brand positioning is a giant flag in the ground around data-driven insights I think you'll hear the excitement in my voice in this conversation as we dig into how the trust creates this data-fueled approach to content at a level that goes beyond the low-hanging fruit and the obvious. Take a listen. I was most struck by your positioning around data-driven insights. When you go to the site, it even says experiences powered by intelligence. Let's, let's go there and dig in deeper. You started to tell me, but I want to know more about that. How are you actually using the data in a way that you're enabled to apply it to branded content solutions for brands that come on board and how that differentiates you from other publisher yep. content studios? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the first thing is it's, it's first party data, which is, which is key. Um, so you're not sort of, you know, piecing together lookalike segments and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. But when you think about it, I think about it in a few ways. One is you, know, you can gain insights from the editorial team. So, you know, um, between Barron's and the Wall Street Journal, we're putting out 200 articles a day, 150 articles a day. So all of the insights on what's where people are spending their time, mm -hmm. what they're reading, what they're not reading, what they're sharing, um, you know, how long how long they're spending on a page. Are they scrolling? Are they playing the video all the way through? What's the perfect length of a video? Um, you know, if they're podcast people, you know, what's the target length? How many do they binge watch in a row? 
all of those things, which are insights for us from the editorial team, mm -hmm. are things that we have access to that we need to kind of make smart use of to help us guide us when we're coming up with ideas for a client. So that there's the editorial piece. Then there's really sort of the content consumption piece as well, which is if you're reading, you know, if you're in our case with the journal, you know, if you're a CEO of an energy company and you know you're going to come to the homepage because it's bookmarked and that's where you go for the first always, mm -hmm. and then you're bouncing over to the energy content or things like that, what else are you reading besides energy? Mm -hmm. You know, are you reading market data? Are you reading, you know, travel? Are you potentially going to a travel site area? But are you reading tech? Are you, what other things are you reading? And sort of understanding that reader journey on the site enables us to, one, come up with different ways to approach content, but it also helps us uh, when it comes time for the distribution and amplification of the content so that that CEO clicks on, you know, the content integration unit or the ad unit to get to the article page to actually read the custom content. So you've got that piece of sort of like user data. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third piece is, you know, what's worked in the past? You know, what programs have we done for clients? What best practices can we use from learnings from programs that make sense? You know, and everything as basic as word count to, you know, what's in a headline to what's in the content integration units that are driving people to it, mm -hmm. the length of the video, you know, it's everything. So you kind of have this wealth of data and insights coming in that, you know, when used intelligently, you can come up and with some pretty profound story ideas based on insights and data. Well, let's stay there because you talked about the trend and, and I'm going to introduce a new segment here and I'll call it trend spotting. What are okay. the top three trends that you're seeing that media publishing content studios need to master to kind of win the rest of 2020 and set themselves up for success in 2021? How are you thinking? About yeah. That? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I, you know, the reason why we talked about it for the first 10 or 15 minutes is it's insight and data driven content creation. Yep. It's got to be that. I mean, the second, and then the second one then ties perfectly into that, which is um, driving ROI. You've got to deliver a proven ROI on these campaigns. Um, ROI can, you know, the KPIs can vary. People and you know, there's there's so many ways to measure it. But right. I think I just look at it like the marketing funnel. You know, it's typically upper funnel mm -hmm. where it's getting awareness. But also, you know, you can with retargeting and proper targeting of ads. Um, you can drive people down the funnel. You can the first first piece of content someone reads can be about 5G. Mm -hmm. The second piece can be about AT&T strategy in 5G, and the third thing could be driving people to a, a more detailed article with a white paper. So I think the ROI piece of it, especially now, um, where every budget dollar has to be, you know has to work, is key. Uh, and then I think obviously the third thing that you know we're all doing it, it's this pivot to um, you know video and live streaming of events and things like that. Um, is something that we're getting more and more, you know, requests for, and then we're pitching out there because all of us now, you know, you can you can get access to um, subject matter experts and speakers who you couldn't get before because they didn't want to travel. Yep. Now they're just sitting in front of their computer like there are, and you know, you and I can do this in 30 minutes and we're done. Yep. Um, yep. So there's, I think, those are the kind of the three big things that I'm seeing. And again, you know, we're sort of in this unique place in that um, for our digital business is 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 very very strong right now mm -hmm. um, on the content studio side in general overall in the business because again you know the, who are the advertisers and the marketers that in fact didn't pull back but actually after they every after the shock they double down and it's b2b it's tech it's finance you know it's all of those big players who now are, are saying you know we can't take our foot off the gas in fact now's the time to really 
to step on it and, and go for it. So in content marketing, you know, telling a story for them um, is critical now because it is something that, you know, traditional ads might not be able to do in the most, you know, sensitive way. Whereas using storytelling, you can certainly adjust your tone for the times. So there you have it. Excerpts from four thought leaders on the state of content measurement in 2020, along with some best practices in near-term food for thought. I hope you enjoyed our inaugural Best of Brand Story, Inc. episode. I've been really touched and inspired by your feedback. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at underscore jsharman, that's S-H-A-R-M-A-N, or ping me on LinkedIn. Always open to topics you want to hear about and guests you desire to hear from. Thanks for your support of Brand Story, Inc. And if you like this episode, do me a favor, share it on social media or pass it on to a colleague. That's it for now. Peace. Peace.